as Jeannie mentioned, we are going to be spending, thank you, the next month, this month, focusing on that question. Who is this man, this singular character of Jesus that has not only remained throughout history, but has prevailed above all others in human history? We're going to be looking specifically at this week, sort of a 30,000-foot view of the impact of the life of Jesus. We're going to look at his teachings uh, next week. We're going to look at the people that he surrounded himself with. We're going to explore the reality of who this person is so that we may not only know more about him, but that we may know him more. And I would say to those of you who are here and you're sort of a, would maybe call yourself a secret of truth or you're trying to figure out sort of who this God is and where it fits into your world, I could not think of a better time for you to come to church, a time for you to really listen in and and determine, discern for yourself the impact of this Jesus, not only on the world out there, but on your world and here as well. This last fall, I I read a book that really kind of kicked off the idea, the genesis for the thought behind this series, and it's a book by a friend of ours called John Orberg. Well, that's his name, John Orberg. The book is called, Who is This Man? Who is this man? And a lot of what we're going to be teaching over the next couple weeks comes out of this book. You know what's so great? Jeannie mentioned last Sunday at Easter, I just want to hit pause real quick. I don't think you celebrated nearly enough. She was working hard, and y'all, the nine whooped you on applause so far in the last service. That's not a shame. It's a little bit of a shame thing. So here's the deal. Six, I'm going to give you a chance now. 60 people entered into a relationship with Jesus last week at Soul City Church. There you go. You're back. All right, you're back. Good, good. And here's the deal. Here's what's so cool. Every person who stepped up and said, I'm ready today, this Easter, to begin a relationship with Jesus, we gave them this book. We believe it's that good, that helpful, that powerful. We gave them this book as a free gift. Many of you walked out of this church last week with this book as your free gift. And uh, because we're going to be kind of teaching in and around about some of the stuff in this book, we wanted to make it available to you this week. Last week, we gave it away free for anyone who started a relationship with Jesus. This week, 15 bucks. So you had your chance last week. We tried warning you, so that's it. But I would encourage you to grab that book, powerful for your own study and reflection. Also, maybe great for a small group you might be in or leading this summer. Great, great, great book to go through. Highly recommend it. Uh, it is the, the idea of understanding the impact of Jesus, not only sort of globally, but also personally, is very important, I think, for every one of us, no matter sort of where you fall on the spectrum. And one of the most important things for us to do, if we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the reality of Jesus, is to be honest with where we're starting from. To be honest with where we're starting from when it comes to who we believe Jesus is. Who is he currently to us? Very important, because a lot of us have maybe a lot of assumptions about Jesus, or we've filled in the blanks from what maybe we don't know, or or maybe misheard, or never heard. We fill in the blanks with some of our own assumptions about him, and can potentially miss the power and reality of Jesus, and have him impact our lives as well. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to think about, when I say the name Jesus, what is the mental image that comes to your mind? I mean, even it would help to close your eyes for a second and think, okay, what do you physically imagine? What do you picture when you think of Jesus? Now, I want to let the introverts in on a little secret. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to have you share one of those things with the person next to you. Okay, I'm going to have you share like, hey, when I think of Jesus, for whatever reason, I think of this. Maybe describe a physical attribute that you might have in your mind somewhere about who Jesus is. Introverts, again, I'm letting you know this now because you're going to talk to another person. 
It's only going to last for 60 seconds. You're going to be okay at the end of it. So I'm giving you a warning now, but I want you to turn to the person next to you, find out their name, and share one physical attribute. If you were to say, you know, I think Jesus looked like this. For whatever reason in my mind, he looks like this. So introverts, prepare yourselves. Extroverts, contain yourselves. Everyone turn to the person next to you and talk. You got about 60 seconds. What's one of the images that you have of Jesus? All right. Just a little show of hands here, just a little show of hands, based on what you just shared, or maybe what you didn't share, but you still kind of have in your mind. How many of you fear Jesus, he has a beard? Just kind of raise your hand. Yeah, the Bible actually says he has a beard, so you're, you're one for one so far. You're doing great so far. All right, how many of you, uh, your Jesus has long, flowing, quasi-permed hair? Yeah. All right. yeah. Kind of like a clean hippie is sort of like the image we have of Jesus in our mind. Yeah. All right, so how many of you, being really honest, he's wearing high-top sandals. He's wearing the sandals that straps up all the way up the ankles. Yeah, good. That, that, for whatever reason, that's sort of one of the images we have. Uh, okay, now just be very, very, very honest. Just be honest. Don't try and put your churchy answer out there. In your image of Jesus, how many of you have him in a white robe? Yeah, Jesus perpetually in his bathrobe, walking the earth, right? And it's because this is some of our collective image. And for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe you grew up with kind of this image. Not only is he in the white robe with the beautifully permed hair, but he has the blue Miss America sash that goes across here. I don't know where that came from. That's never mentioned in the Bible. I'd like to have one if I could just rock that and see what happens. That's what we think of. And for whatever reason, when we think of maybe how Jesus might have spoken, for whatever reason, when our collective consciousness, he always has a British accent. I don't know why that is, but think about it. In almost every sort of Bible movie, even the one that's on TV right now, for some reason, people just had British accents back then because it sounds more regal and royal. And so maybe you have a, a British, clean, hippie Jesus with the blue America, Miss America sash. I don't know what your image is, but we have to start, honestly, where we're at because I think what most of us have to face is we may have a less than Jesus. We, we may have Jesus based on some of our own assumptions, or what we want him to be rather than who he, he fully is. We want to get to the heart of who the real Jesus is so that the real you can really know him. Again, not just about him, but know him. So we're going to explore teachings from the Bible that spoke to the reality of who Jesus is. And you know what would be interesting is if all we actually had about Jesus was what was only found in these pages, in this book, it would be enough. In fact, it would be more than enough. But what ends up happening for many of us is we limit the impact of Jesus to strictly just this book. And so we take the truths of Jesus that are found in this book, and we somehow keep Jesus bound to this book. And we miss the impact that he has not only throughout the world, as we'll see today, throughout history, but specifically throughout our lives in ways that we might have missed. I think many well-intentioned religious people have a Jesus that is way too small, way too small, locked up in the pages of our own presumptions, our own assumptions about who Jesus is. And so the question we have to start with this morning and this month as we engage in this journey together is how big is your Jesus? How big is your Jesus? How big is this one that we've gathered here to celebrate today? How big is this one, for those of you who call yourselves Christians, how big is this one who's changed your life, who's saved your life, who is leading your life? How big is your Jesus? You know, about a decade or so ago, maybe even more than that, 
Gene and I had the opportunity to take 30 high school students uh, down for a little more than a week-long serving trip in Mexico at an orphanage that we partnered with. Now, taking 30 high school students anywhere is a challenge in and of itself. Then when you start crossing borders, like even just crossing state lines with 30 high school kids is a risk. We traveled outside this country and took a bunch of high school kids with us and had a great time serving in Mexico. And I grew up knowing just enough Spanish to get me in trouble. For whatever reason, on our trip, I was the guy that knew enough to sort of be the team translator when we would get to various places that we were working and serving. And, and so I kind of knew enough to conversationally get things started, and I knew just enough for the person I was talking to to assume that I knew a lot more than I did. And so we'd start talking. I'd be doing pretty good in the first couple rounds, and then ours start rolling really fast, and words start getting around, and I don't know totally what's going on, but I'm nodding my head like I do, and I'm going, I think they said something about water. I don't know if we're supposed to drink it or not supposed to drink it. Like, I was not the best translator, because I knew just enough to get me in trouble. But one, like every time, honestly, when we'd get stuck in connecting, again, people from different cultures, different languages, I noticed the most interesting thing would happen every time, actually, this would happen. I would say where I was from. I'd say, well, I'm from Chicago. And the second I would say Chicago, do you know the first word that they said back to me? In fact, it wasn't even a word. It was a name. Whose name? Capone, not quite. Close. Jordan. Every time. I'd say, I'm from Chicago. Oh, Michael Jordan. Yes, Michael Jordan. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. All right. Put your passports away. I think we're good. So it was, I, I wouldn't know much else to say past that. So they go, Michael Jordan. See, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Numero 23. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's about as far as I could get. But I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really interesting that here we are a thousand miles from Chicago in another culture, speaking another language, and they knew who this figure was from our city. It's powerful, that kind of impact. You know, the truth of the matter is simply this. In, in 250 years, no one's going to remember the name of Michael Jordan. Maybe a few Chicagoans will, but the rest of the world will not. You know, 500 years, no one's going to know who Justin Bieber is. Maybe in five years. I don't know. We'll see, how, we'll see how things go. I don't know. See, history has this way of arbitrarily filing people away, putting them sort of in their place, irrespective of how great they thought they were. The greatest and the biggest among us, history has a way of just filing them away. From the, 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 the cruelest and most ruthless, everyone sort of just gets filed away in the flow of history. Everyone but one. Everyone but one. And that is Jesus. The person of Jesus has continued to be the most singular and central character of the last 2,000 years. And he remains, and not only remains, but prevails as the central singular character of history against great odds, against the most unlikely circumstances. The fact of the matter is simply this. Based on the facts, just the details alone, there is no earthly reason you and I should even know who Jesus is. Based just on the facts. There's no reason we should even Know who he is, let alone be talking about him 2,000 years later, let alone allowing our lives to be changed and transformed by him. Who is this man 
that has that kind of power over history itself. Think about the odds by which Jesus sort of prevailed to remain at the center of our story against great, great, great odds. You have to think about it. The, the, Jesus is, is mentioned all the way to the left in the Bible in Genesis 3, right after sin enters into our story. God promises us that there will be a Savior, a Redeemer. Right when perfection sort of gives way to now separation between us and God, God says, this isn't the whole story. There is one who is coming. And in fact, throughout the entire Old Testament, there are around 300, over 300 prophecies that specifically speak to the great odds by which, but with great specificity, who Jesus is, who he will be, where he'll come from, and what he'll do. It's written all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean that it was against great odds that it would actually happen, that he would actually come and be all of who God promised him to be. In fact, I want us to look at one of the prophecies that was written about Jesus and look at the reality of how he's described by the prophet Isaiah. So if you would, please, would you grab your Bible, grab a Bible? If you didn't bring one, we got you covered. There should be a blue Bible in your seat back. We say this every week, but it's really important to us. We want you to actually grab a Bible. Now, you may have it on your phone. We're going to put it on the screens, but you can't underline the screens. So grab a Bible, grab a pen, and you can turn to page 511 in the blue Bible. We say this all the time. If you don't own a Bible and you're serious about understanding who this Jesus is, this is the best place to start. How can you possibly have a working framework of Jesus outside of this book? So if you don't have a Bible, here's the deal. You get to keep the Bible. It's in your hand. You can turn to page 511 right now. It's Isaiah 53 that we're going to look at. And if you don't own a Bible and you're interested in knowing who this Jesus is, there's another free book. You get to take this home with you. We believe it's that transformational of truth that can actually change your life. But let's look at the great odds by which this singular character of Jesus should not be standing at the center of history. Look how Isaiah describes him. Isaiah 53, I'm going to start in the middle of verse 2. Right in the middle of verse 2. This is what Isaiah says about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Listen to these words. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Now listen to this. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Now this is how Isaiah is speaking hundreds of years in advance of Jesus. Saying, look, he's not going to come into the world and into our story like every other king, like every other figure who's, who's tried to secure their place in human history. He will not be anything like them, in fact. Despised, low. You would not even notice him in a crowd. And so was the story of Jesus that prophecies pointed to. Every single one of them, every single one of them came true in the reality of Jesus. He was actually born into relative obscurity to a teenage mother. Shortly after his birth, he was literally taken away, hid. He had to hide and grow up in Egypt for fear of his own life. So much it was a threat, this Jesus, that they had to run for their lives to hide from the ruler of that day. Eventually, they came back and settled into a town called Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up, again, in relative obscurity. 
Kings and rulers had great fanfare about their lives, but not this king, not this man, not this Jesus. In fact, about 80% of his life we have no account of in the Bible. And I think if the truth will be told of our lives, there's a lot of our lives and details of our lives that don't even make the radar, does it? So much was Jesus like us that there's large parts of his story that don't even make the book. So he grows up in a town called Nazareth that no one really cared about. In fact, when Jesus came out into his sort of public ministry and began to do his public ministry, and people heard he was from Nazareth, one of the quotes around him was, what good can come from Nazareth? How can anything, that's not where good things and great things come from. If Jesus were to come today, the same quote would apply. And I'm like, what good can come from Gary, Indiana? Something like this. I don't know. I'm just trying to say something like this. Where pe- oh, really? You're gonna, you feel sorry? Get, come on. Gary's tough. They can take it. All right. Here's the deal. Nothing about him, nothing about him stood out or drew attention to himself. In fact, the reality is this. He held no significance, no public office, and knew no one, had no connections to anyone in high places, at least here on earth. His followers, at best, at the greatest sort of swell of the movement of Jesus, reached about 500 devoted followers. And at his death, it had dwindled down to a little more than a dozen or so. And most of them had already abandoned Jesus and walked away. He never married and therefore had no children, no heirs to his kingdom, although he kept speaking about the heirs to his father's kingdom. He had no earthly children, just us. He was only alive for roughly around 33 years, historians would say, and his public ministry maybe at the most took up about three years, maybe as little as one year. There's no reason just looking at the facts, that any one of us should know his name, and yet he remains at the center of the story. In fact, Jesus quite literally stands at the center of history. As long as there's been kings and and rulers and all kinds of folks who've taken power, they've tried to sort of secure their reign and, and be remembered by the time that they rule. And so they'd go to great lengths to, to date things by the time of their rule, to refer to things as sort of under the realm or the reign of their rule. So whoever was the most powerful person in the land at that time, it was typically under that king or that ruler. In fact, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, telling the story of the birth of Jesus, even refers to the timing of the birth of Jesus by saying, in the time of Herod. This is what kings did, this is what rulers did. Jesus would not do that, and yet history itself would look to him as the singular central person and literally split history in two so that people who don't even know about God or care about God date things in history and in science by B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ. A.D. stands for Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. That means that every time you write a check, which is about every three years that you write a check and you write the date in the top right corner, you are bearing witness to the reality of this Jesus who came and literally split history in two. Again, people who don't even call him Savior or Lord 
Their lives are affected every time they look at a calendar, every time they write a check, by the reality of this man who stands literally at the center of history. Other rulers throughout time would do whatever they had to do to secure their name well beyond their lifetime. And so it was very common practice, and still is to this day, that rulers would put their name on anything and everything. So they would put their name and their face on coins, on currency. We still do this today. They, they would put their name on cities. They would name cities after themselves or after their family name so that their thought was this, this city will remain forever in honor of me. They would name their children, multiple children, after them so that their name would live on and on and on forever. And yet the reality is no one really remembers those names. Even the friends of Jesus, as we saw in that video, the friends of Jesus, those are the names that have actually prevailed throughout the years. We still name our children Mark and Mary and Paul and Luke and Martha and John. And we name names like Nero and Caesar we reserve for casinos and pizza places and dogs and their whisperers. You see, it kind of falls apart there. See, did it, see, good. See, that's what we're going to do. We're going to laugh a little bit. Is that, can we, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm so glad you guys showed up this morning. You know, in fact, to this very day, it is in the name of Jesus that people wage wars. And it is by the name of Jesus that peace is brokered. It's by the book that tells the story of Jesus that presidents are sworn into power. It's by the name of Jesus that Babies are christened or dedicated, and by the name of Jesus, that priests and ministers hover in hospitals to whisper his name one last time before people leave this life. So powerful is even just the name of Jesus. So powerful, in fact, is just the name of Jesus that it's even made it into the category of swear word. I mean, you think about what other religious leader or figure has their own swear word. Seriously. Who else do we give that power to? When was the last time you missed your bus and got all frustrated and went, don't, Abraham Lincoln, and you get really mad because you missed, you don't do that. But my hunch is you may have said his name in anger before. So powerful is his name that it stands at the center. His name even stands at the center of history and has lasted all these years, his name, all these years. And in fact, the Bible tells us it is his name that will echo and reverberate throughout all of eternity. So powerful is the name of Jesus, just the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, therefore God, speaking about Jesus, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the what? The names, let me say that again, gave him the what? The name that is above every other name. Every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So powerful is the name of Jesus that it not only stands throughout history, but it reverberates throughout eternity. Who is this man whose name alone has that much power? Who is this man whose name continues to live on 
geographically all around us. I grew up in Northern California, just across the bridge from a city named San Francisco, named after a saint, a follower of Jesus, St. Francisco. I lived actually right next door to a town called San Jose, St. Jose. And we lived not far from the state capital, which is Sacramento. The name Sacramento, state capital of California, Sacramento, actually comes from the word sacrament. Next week, we're going to receive the sacrament of communion together. The state capital of California draws its name and identity from the sacraments of this man, Jesus. This man who never himself wrote a book, and yet more books have been written about him than any other figure in all of human history. He himself never penned his own memoir. But a couple of other people did, and we still read those accounts to this day. And thousands and thousands and thousands of more have written about the life, the impact, the reality of this Jesus. You can fill libraries with books about Jesus alone. Who else has drawn so much attention in the literary world? Who else has drawn so much attention and inspired so much in the artistic, in the creative world? A couple years ago, Jean and I had the opportunity to go to Paris. And specifically, we knew we wanted to go to the Louvre. I'm not sure if you've ever been there before. It's a beautiful, huge place. And as we walk through that place together, it is very, very, very hard to come into a wing or a section of that building, if not a room after room after room, where you don't encounter some great work of art that is either directly portrayed or directly connected to the life, the teachings, the friends of Jesus. Who is this man that even our world and our sort of conscious, collective, artistic expression keeps coming back around him. There are more songs written about Jesus than any other person in human history. Have you ever thought about that before? I'm not just talking Christian songs that you hear on the radio. I mean more and more songs by more and more people who may not even know him are still fascinated by, fascinated by him as a subject matter even in songs. In fact, think about it right now. Can you think of any songs that speak to the name or the reality of Jesus. I bet you can. From Bach's Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring, to you kind of move forward a little bit, a little different genre, Depeche Mode's Personal Jesus. Move it a little bit further, you have Kanye's Jesus Walks, all the way to Carrie Underwood's Jesus Take the Wheel. We keep coming back to this character, this man, Jesus. In film, there have been many, many, many films about this character, Jesus, played by some of the great actors of our day and our time. Going all the way back, you have Max von Sydow, to Robert Powell, to Rafe Fiennes, to Christian Bale, to Jim Caviezel, to Willem Dafoe, to Will Ferrell. Oh. <laughs> Best, worst Jesus ever. What is it about this man that continues to draw and capture our attention? Think about the charitable organizations that we trust and give to, organizations that may not even call themselves Christian by practice or nature, but have borrowed from the teachings and the life and the impact of Jesus. Have you ever visited or been to or volunteered at, been a part of the Salvation Army? Where do you think that name comes from, Salvation directly pulled from the life 
and power of what we just celebrated last week at Easter. Just by show of hands, how many of you have ever given or served or been asked for money by the Red Cross? Okay, the cross throughout history before Jesus was the symbol, the ultimate symbol of humiliation. And somehow by the power of this man, he redeems even the worst symbol of punishment and makes it now a gift of life to others. So much so that we would name an organization. In fact, there's a couple Salvation Armies and Red Cross right here in our neighborhood, all of them pulling from the impact and power of this one man. Think about what we name our hospitals. By the hospitals that we name, Good Shepherd, Advocate Lutheran, St. Joseph, Mercy. These are all pulled from the life of Jesus. Jesus, as a leader, has been influential in and has been reacted to and responded to many, many, many great world leaders. Many great world leaders have some take on, whether they were inspired by or whether they were reviled by Jesus, they still had something to say about this Jesus. The leadership of Jesus is so fascinating and still stands as so revolutionary all these thousands of years later. In fact, there's a really powerful quote by Napoleon, not dynamite, the first one, who actually had this to say about Jesus. Look at the list he includes himself in. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires, but look what he says. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. That's how the world has done it. That's how kings and rulers have tried to establish their power and presence. But Jesus Christ founded an empire upon what? Love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. Leaders fascinated by the power of this leader, Jesus. People who did not even necessarily have a personal relationship with Jesus, still fascinated by the person of Jesus. In fact, Gandhi was a leader who was greatly inspired by the life of Jesus. In fact, this quote still, still disturbs me because he hits it head on. Gandhi said this about Jesus, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Have you ever experienced that or seen that? Gandhi was fascinated by the Sermon on the Mount, read it over and over and over again, and would ask ministers or those who would come to spend time with him, why don't your Christians live like they actually believe what Jesus meant? Can you imagine what would happen if they just lived out the Sermon on the Mount? Who is this man? who never raised up an army, who never took or commanded control, that he is still looked to and followed as one of the greatest leaders of all time. Just about any way you slice our world, you end up back at Jesus. No matter which way you come at it, you end up back at Jesus. His impact is inescapable in our world, and his influence is undeniable. The more and more you begin to study Jesus, even outside of this book, again, if this is all we had about Jesus, it would be enough. But he is not just bound to what is found in here. His impact goes well beyond this book into our world. It's as though, literally, when it comes to Jesus, history has become his story. Almost everywhere you turn and everywhere you look, no matter how you slice it, it comes back to 
Jesus. He stands alone as the central figure of human history. And so the question for you and me as we zoom in from our 30,000 foot look at this impact of this man is simply this. Where does he stand in your story? The Jesus who is inspired and challenged and encouraged and has been honestly thought of, pursued, emulated, challenged throughout hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This Jesus who stands alone above all other names throughout all of human history. Where does he stand in your story? How big is your Jesus? How does your story reveal the undeniable impact of Jesus? If we were to sort of slice your story up, if we were to sort of break your story down, how does your story reveal the undeniable impact of Jesus? If this Jesus has so greatly affected and changed the world, how has he affected and changed your world? How big is your Jesus? What would we learn about him if we were to study you? Now, this isn't a guilt thing. It may feel like it, right? It's not an honest question. Especially for those of you, obviously, who would call yourselves followers of Jesus. What would we learn about Jesus by following you? What about when it comes to your relationships and the way you do relationships? Whether it's friendships, your marriage, whether it's your relationship with the person you're dating, with your partner, with your kids, whoever it may be. What would we learn about Jesus by looking at how you do relationships? How are the relationships you have shaped by your relationship with Jesus? What about the way that you love others? What would we learn about Jesus by watching how you love others? You know, Jesus said in his teachings, we're going to look at next week. Jesus said, look, everyone says, the world says, we all understand, love your friends, hate your enemies. Cut and dry. Love your friends, hate your enemies. Makes sense. Jesus said, I say, I tell you, Love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Love those who are difficult to you according to your standard. Love those who challenge you. Love those who are different than you. What would we learn about Jesus and the undeniable impact of his life by watching how you love others? What about the way that you forgive? You know, it's so powerful is what we celebrated last week. Jesus has made a way for us by forgiving us, by making forgiveness available to us so that we can forgive others. He has forgiven us so that we can forgive others. In fact, one of the last things he said on the cross before he went and died and paid the price for our sins, one of the last things he did was he looked out over those who had literally nailed him to the cross and said, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. What would we learn about the impact of Jesus on your life from how you forgive or withhold forgiveness or put your own terms on forgiveness? What about how you spend your time? What would we learn about Jesus from watching how you spend your time, the things that you value, the things that matter to you? What would we learn about Jesus from watching how you treat others at work? your business practices, what you do with the numbers and what you don't do. 
how you treat your boss, how you treat those that you lead. What would we learn about Jesus from watching you at work? What would we learn about the undeniable impact of Jesus by watching the way that you use and leverage your money? We we all kind of know the lessons that our world has taught us, and we talk about that very honestly and openly. In fact, what's so interesting about the impact and the power of Jesus is that he spoke about money a lot. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven, hell, and marriage combined. And yet, he was a homeless rabbi who didn't draw a paycheck, who went town to town, dependent upon the hand of God and the mercy of others. What would we learn about the undeniable impact of Jesus by watching what you and I do with our, our, our resources, our, our, our money? What would that say? I'm going to invite the band to come up right now, and I want us to reflect. I want us to push in one bit deeper, because you might be feeling a little you know, hot under the collar, and okay, man, I don't know. What would people learn if they had to... Only like, the only thing they could learn about Jesus was from watching my life and my story. Maybe let me ask you a better question, a question that might actually help us grow and transform and take a step closer to Jesus this week. The question is simply this, similar to the last one. How does God want your story to reveal the undeniable impact of Jesus? So again, we have to start where we're at. If we're to be honest, say, you know, I don't know what people would learn, or I'm not sure I'd like what people would say about Jesus based on watching me. Well, what do you think God would want for you, for your life, to say about who this Jesus really is? What would your story say about this Jesus? Just as history has told us and continues to point back to the power, the centrality of this man. How does God want your story, your story, your life, your world to have an undeniable mark of the power and presence of Jesus? And I'm talking specifically to those of you who'd call yourselves Christians. Isn't that what you signed up for? Isn't that what you actually want You know you tried on your own, you tried to do it on your own terms, you tried to do it on your own strength, and it didn't work, and it didn't work, and you finally had enough courage to swallow your pride and say, okay, Jesus, as we talked about last week, I choose you. I admit, I choose you. I accept your gift of life and grace to me. Then why, after all of that, would you settle for a small Jesus that doesn't radically challenge and change and transform your life? What do you think is the story that God wants to tell about Jesus through your story to the world around you? Here's the thing. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, that's what God longs to do. That's what he so longs to do. And here's the other thing. That's what our world so desperately needs. That's what our world so desperately needs. Sermons like this are fine and great and have their place You are meant to be a living image and representation of the power and presence of Jesus wherever you go and whoever you're with. So what do you think God wants the undeniable impact of Jesus to be on your life? Starting today, starting this week, starting right now. That's your homework for this week. That's the challenge. In fact, that's the conversation I would love to encourage you as your pastor to have over lunch today or over dinner tonight, wherever it may be, in the car today, whatever it may be, for you to have the conversation to say, okay, what would that really look like in our marriage? 
Okay, what's that really going to look like to kind of put Jesus, just as he stands at the center of history, as he stands at the center of culture, as he stands sort of at the center of our world, what would it look like for Jesus to put Jesus literally at the center of our marriage, the center of our work, my job, the center of my relationships, the center of my finances? What would it look like? What might happen if I were to do that? How much bigger might my Jesus actually get? So we want to give you the chance to do that a moment to reflect on that and an opportunity to respond to this Jesus, this man who has so clearly changed the world. In a minute, we're going to do something we always do right here. We're going to receive our offerings. Part of our worship is part of how we respond to God. Honestly, for some of us, it is a great way for us to practice putting Jesus at the center of our finances. Just to say, I want to give back to God. Got an email from somebody who's been a Christian for a long time last week, been a part of our church for a long time. Emailed us like in all caps this last week and said, you're not going to believe it. I finally did it. For the first time in my life, I gave back to God today during the church service. And my heart feels so full. I don't know where it all is coming from. I don't know how it's all going to work. But I gave to God as he's so richly given to me. So this is going to be an opportunity for us in a second to actually practice this, to put Jesus at the center. So I'd encourage you to do that. A lot of us do that online, but I'd encourage you to do that right now from your heart this morning. What I'd like to do to help us get there is give you a chance to reflect. Maybe give you a chance to sort of tear down the walls, the little box that you've built around your Jesus. And I'm going to read to you some of the names that the Bible uses to describe Jesus. And as I read these names, what I'd love for you to do is if you hear a name, you go, yes, that's who I desperately need Jesus to be. All names given to Jesus in the Bible, you hear this name, you say, yes, 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 that's it. And here's the thing. Jeannie gave permission a couple weeks ago. It's okay to say yes out loud. It's okay. I've been talking for the last 30 minutes. I've had no problem with it. Why don't you? If you hear something, when I say one of these names of Jesus and you go, amen, yes, I need that. Whatever it is that you need to say, I want to help. I want to have my own image and understanding and relationship with Jesus broadened and bigger this morning. So I want to read to you the truth of who he is. And as you hear a name and it resonates with your soul, you let God know. You let Jesus know. This is no small thing. This is no small Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate. That he's the one who goes before us on our behalf and fights our battles for us. Bible tells us that Jesus himself is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end and all points in between. The Bible says that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. It is in him that we have life and it is in him that life gets worked out. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself is the bread of life, nourishing our soul for what we most desperately need. The Bible teaches us that he is our good shepherd, caring for us, watching over us, providing for us and protecting us. And he is not only our good shepherd, he is our great high priest, which means he stands in our place and declares us as holy to God. What we could not do on our own, he has done for us. In fact, he is the very definition of holiness himself. He is the hope of glory. And he is the Lamb of God who took our place. This Jesus is the light of the world, shining bright for 
all to see throughout all time for all people that they may know God. So bright is the light of Jesus that the Bible calls him our bright morning star, shining true light onto our lives. He is our righteousness. He is our redemption. He is our salvation. The Bible says that Jesus is the vine that literally connects us to God. He is our hope to connecting to God. He is the one that sustains us and actually gives us life and causes you to grow. The Bible says that Jesus Christ himself is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting father. And he is your prince of peace. He is Jesus, son of God. And if you long for him to be bigger in your life right now, you say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus. So that's our prayer right now, Jesus. We want to know you, not our little assumptions about you. Oh, how easily I can miss the mark and make you just a, a character in a book and a story or a moment from my life when I was younger. No, no, you stand at the center of it all. And I want and we want you to stand at the center of our lives so much so that when people see us, they get a glimpse of you, Jesus. We need to know, we have to know, we long to know the real you, Jesus so that we can actually really be who you meant us to be. I pray for every single person here that's in a relationship with you, that they would be stirred up to say, no, I will not settle for anything less than the real Jesus, and that you would draw us back to the Bible, that you draw us back even to our own stories to pay attention to where you've been at work. And I pray for every one of my friends who's here this morning who's still trying to figure you out, Jesus. I pray, I pray this morning that they would get a greater glimpse of how great you are and that it would compel them into exploring more and more who you are so that ultimately they may know you for all of who you are. That's what we long for. We want to know you, Jesus, and we want to make you known. Our neighborhood needs it. Our city needs it, God. Our families need it. Our friends need it. Our work needs it. But God, we need it too. So we come to you, Jesus, Son of God. And we long to know you and make you known. That's our prayer. That's our heart. That's our hope. That's our song. In your name, amen.